Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Petrano. 12 minutes after 8 on Wisconsin's Morning News. So glad you're with us on this Wednesday morning. I'm going to read you a quote to set the stage for the conversation we're about to have. It's about a drug shortage in the U.S. and skyrocketing costs due to it. This is a 36-year-old woman, uh, mother of one. She is quoted in USA Today. You can't, you can't really compare it, but if there were a shortage of cancer drugs, there would be a lot more uproar than there is with the shortage of... And then this medication. The medication is for ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And she's right. There would be more of an uproar if we were talking about a drug that was to treat something else because of the stigma still attached with mental health disorders. And it's in part, I think, due to parents of, of my generation, the Gen Xers, who are struggling still to understand how we feel about diagnosing mental health conditions in our children, about how we go about treating those. So I brought in my friend and classmate from Wauwatosa East High School, local pediatrician at Tosa Pediatrics in Wauwatosa, friend of the program, Dr. Tim Richer with us this morning. Morning, guys. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, uh, always. Thanks for the treats. Tell your mom. Oh, thank yeah, you. <laughs> those Ma's special treats there. You're getting the bare bottom of the... Uh, this is what's left? Yeah, yeah there's a hierarchy to <laughs> that's candy. That's fine. You know, the toffee that's gone, you know. I'm so glad we're because because you and I are of the same generation. Our dads are like the same guy, different professions, but right. So true. So I want to. So true. I want to start our conversation with this, Doc. Uh, your dad was my pediatrician, and I think back in the day to some of the report cards I had in elementary school. My mom, we, we used to laugh because my mom saved one. First grade, Miss Rowan, Wilson Elementary, has trouble sitting still, makes noises during class, <laughs> bothers other students, difficulty staying on task. So if your dad were you and my mom brought me in and said any of these things to him back in the or today, for sure, at least on your radar, would be ADHD, right? Yeah, for sure. It'd be, it'd be on the radar. Um, I think a big part of that, too, and, you know, you look, you've obviously enjoyed a lot of success in your career, and here you are and all of that. <laughs> yes, so everything turned some, out great. <laughs> something worked out okay. But, um, you know, it's, it's not just a matter of, you know, the sitting still and the, and the not paying attention. It's, you know, how much does that really impact your schooling? And that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So the next question I always ask, well, is it a big deal or not? I mean, is this just sort of a something they do or is it really getting in the way? You know, um, and if it's not getting in the way, well, then we kind of just stand by, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in the grade, in the grades to come. But you're right. Uh, back then it just kind of, um, Life was different. We didn't know as much about ADHD as we do now. Um, you know, if you read about the history of ADHD, it's like, well, it's like reading about the history of concrete. It's not very, <laughs> it's really, it's really sexy read. Super exciting, <laughs> but it really, it wasn't really defined closely to what we have now until like 1980. And then, you know, there takes some time. So you were already in first, no. Yeah, barely first grade, first grade at that point. Yeah, right. So I mean, it takes time to make its way through medicine. It takes time to enter, in, you know, to enter the minds of educators and what they're going to do about it. So um, there were certainly those kids out there who literally could like were like a racquetball, you know, in a right. in a room. But um, you really had it really had to be interfering. I think a lot more back then um, to get recognized, partly because of the definition too. Um, that then now for sure. So when you are are talking about young patients who come to your parents who come to you and we, we put this on the radar and you start working through that diagnosis do you do you feel from parents of our generation 
that apprehension, as I kind of just described, because we this wasn't around to the degree or, or identified as such when we were kids. And we, you know, start raising our kids like how we were raised, right? Yeah, I mean, we, I mean that's how you learn, right? I mean, you kind of, you're... You take the good and the bad from your parents, right? And then you apply those to your own kids and, and maybe not the, the bad. bad. Still, right? We <laughs> pledge that we bad. got the bad, but we never do. <laughs> no, Don't make me turn this car yeah, around. No wooden spatulas. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, there's apprehension for a couple of reasons. One, um, they think back to how life maybe was for them. Because mm-hmm. I always ask about family history and inevitably... Somebody points to somebody sort of on the <laughs> yep. down low, like that yeah. that one has this problem, um, or some will ad- admit it. And half the times, you know, the dads aren't there to defend themselves. Uh, <laughs> but but anyway, um, you know, they have apprehension perhaps about their negative experiences with friendships and, and teachers and their struggles. Then now they have now they don't want that for their child, of course. And then they have to, you know, uh, think about man, am I going to go so far as to try these medications on my kid, having had no experience myself, but I don't want them to suffer. They're really in a tough, you know, in a tough place. And nobody likes the negative feedback from from school, you mm-hmm. know, about their kids, too. We want our kids to succeed and, and be loved. And, and that's part of the kicker, too. These kids, teachers love these kids. I mean, they're not, they loved you, right? They didn't... Except for Miss Ron, the others, right? The I mean, no, they, you know, they liked charm. you. It's it's just that um, they cannot sit still. And so when I get the reports from the teachers, they're always like, "Johnny is the nicest kid. He makes tons of friends. He's always polite." But man, if I could just get him to sit still, you know, they're they're well liked. And so, um, and 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 now the parents are in this situation, this position of having to decide, well, gosh, am I gonna am I gonna change his personality? Am I gonna take? everything I love about this kid and, and change it. Um, so yeah, they come in with a lot of apprehension about what to do. Talking with Dr. Tim Richer of Tosa Pediatrics, is every case of ADHD a, a candidate for medication or do you look at them individually? No, everyone's an in- individual. And and I, I'm, maybe not everybody does it this way, but I am very certain to really go through the steps the way that they're meant to go through. We go through um, some score sheets, and yes, they're subjective, but it's kind of the best we have. There's no blood test for this. Um, I listen first. Honestly, I do almost all my ADD like um, um, writing um, well after the visit. I just I, I close a chart and I just listen, listen to what parents are saying, um, give the ch- the kids an opportunity to, to talk, um, go through the the checklists, and then really what it comes down to is what I said earlier. You know, it's one thing to have symptoms; it's one thing to have comments on a report card. It's another for it to really be significantly interfering with your ability to be educated or your ability to get out of the house in the morning. Your, because uh, it's not just school, right? It's home too. Sure. Chasing that ball into the street without thinking about it, um, or launching a firecracker at a friend. You know, for all example. these things, <laughs> these things that you do without thinking. That impulsivity is such a big part of it. So it really has to be interfering with life. So sometimes. Um, it's a matter of, hey, let's try this and this and talk to the school. And, and they have accommodations and things that they can put in place sometimes. But uh, in my practice, usually by the time they, they, they come to me, they've tried all these things. And um, and unfortunately, that next step is a conversation about medication. But uh, but we certainly try all those other things first. Let's talk about why why we're seeing a medication shortage. And then, of course, the, the ripple effects that that has on cost. Is it all ADHD meds or is it just Ritalin or... I'm not sure if every single one is on the list, but you know the meds really haven't changed dramatically since it came out in the 50s. Um, there are 
non-stimulant choices too, but really the mainstay of treatment has always been the stimulants, Ritalin and Adderall, and 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 that's kind of how it's been now for 70 years. Um, the, the meds now are much better because they have different release patterns, and we've figured out how to go deeper into the day without side effects, you know, being quite as bad and whatnot. But when you have a shortage of stuff, it's they're either not making enough or we're using more of it, right? And I mean, it's, it's kind of that simple, storm, right? right? And in, in this case, um, we have both. So during COVID, um, obviously a lot more kids were diagnosed coming out of that just from the lack of structure for a year, year and a half, uh, depending on how long your child was out of school. Uh, more adults are being uh, diagnosed with it. So they're chewing up now some of the supply. Then you have um, production is probably not at um, 100%. And you also have... Um, there are limits placed on production by the FDA. So it's sort of like, yeah, it's this perfect storm. And I, it's like COVID. It's like, are, are we living in America? Like, why can we not make more masks? Like, it's like, how right? can we not just get, here's the formula. Right. Somebody open I mean, a lab and let's honestly, crank this out. I mean, give me like a, a motivated sophomore chem major, <laughs> you know, in a lab. Right. But I, it's obviously a lot more complicated than that. So. Um, so that's where we're at. And the reason the prices get higher is because there are non-generic, non-cheap versions of these medications out there, which also work very, very well. But out of pocket, those can cost hundreds of dollars a month, oh, a month. Right. So you really, so you're, the parent you discussed at the beginning is in a, is in a bind um, if they can't get the only one available you know, to them. Talking with Dr. Tom uh, Tim Richard, he is uh, Tosa Pediatrics in Wauwatosa. Uh, so, what's the difference then, Doc, b- between someone say someone is used to being medicated, adult or child, someone who's been being treated, and then all of a sudden might be in a situation where they don't have access to these meds? Um, that can be oh, really yeah, difficult. It's it's, it's instantaneous. Mm-hmm. I mean, these one of the things I like about the meds is they work right away, and I tell parents, hey, by the end of the week, you should notice a, notice a change for sure, if not a day or two. I tend to under-promise, hopefully to over, over-deliver. So if the kid shows up on Monday with no meds, they will get an email. They will get an email for sure. Hey, Johnny forget his Everything medication okay? yeah. Yeah, this morning. They'll know right away. Um, so, And every day that goes by, it's just you know one more where they're just not able to focus and, and get, the job, get the job done every day. Uh, what what long term is this a long term thing or are we gonna you know get get a catch up here pretty you quickly? You know I don't know. Yeah, you think they do geared up if if there's you know demand and obviously there's there's demand. Um, so but it takes obviously time to catch up and there's a lot of finger pointing of course too. So I just kind of there's nothing. I tend to worry about the things I can control, you mm-hmm. know, and 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 the medication shortage isn't one of them. But you know, unfortunately, I do have to put that. We put that on the parents. This pharmacy doesn't have it. Oh, you'll have to call around and find. And it happened to me yesterday, literally, um, where they're traveling, their 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 pharmacy's out of it, and you know they had, they found one in Oak Creek. So okay. here they are, dry, you know. Okay, I guess <laughs> I'm driving Oak Creek yeah. today. You know, it's because it's that it's that important, that important. So. Um, yeah, it's a it's a tough it's a just a it's, it's a tough you know situation and the holidays tend to you know bring out the best in all of us so <laughs> no kidding those right? poor kids are you know bouncing around and there's no better way to maybe on my diagnostic sheets I should have like how how what was their behavior like at at Christmas dinner um, that's probably Is this holiday <laughs> enhanced right do we have the enhancement yeah, for right. for the Christmas right. last thing for you kind of loaded question really general but just how are our kids doing. Post COVID, now we're we're out of that. We know that not having kids in school was, you know, 
people can argue over whether or not that was the right thing to do, but nonetheless, it had a disastrous effect on the mental health of our kids. So. For sure. I think they we've settled into a um, kind of like a kind of like a cruise control now okay. um but it's it's not necess- it's not a healthy one um it, but now it's sort of this new normal um kids parents come in and they're like how is this is just my kid i no, i'm i have these conversations with people every single day every and they're like no way i'm like every day like every probably every morning and afternoon so i think um they're still struggling for all for the reasons everybody knows um but they're they're seeking care, and um, we have great psychologists in town. We have um, uh, generally good uh, schools willing to do the work and getting the kids what they need um, from that perspective. Um, so it's there are plenty of resources around. I think, but I, to answer your question, I, they're doing okay, but they're 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 still struggling. And um, you know those 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 teens especially, they're they're dealing with a lot, and um, there's no worse age group, of course, to if you have ADD to not be treated, um, right. you know, what, what we definitely Hard don't want more anyway. impulsivity in our teenagers, <laughs> right. Hard you know, more anyway. risky behaviors. Um, but they're, they're resilient. Um, and that's what makes the job so great. They just bounce back and they rally and it's, uh, that's, that's what keeps it fresh and fun. Dr. Tim Richard, Tosa Pediatrics. I was going to let you go, but I got a couple of questions here on the old national bank talking right, text. Fire away. Can you stay, can you stay for five minutes? Let Absolutely. me take a quick break. And I do want to yeah. get an update from Debbie on the traffic situation in Washington County. 825 on Wisconsin's morning news. 829 on Wisconsin's morning news. We have Dr. Tim Richard is in the house. He's a pediatrician at Tosa Pediatrics. And I got a couple of questions. We've been talking about the shortage of ADHD medication, why we treat children for that. How come we as kids never had that? And we kind of got through a lot of we that were conversation. Because that's probably why, right? <laughs> we were really good kids. Um, but I did get a couple of questions on the old National Bank talk and text line. Appreciate you sticking around, Doc. Um, one uh, person texted in, how young can children be diagnosed? Says, I have a three-year-old grandson who is very different than any child I've raised. Raised three of my own, nine grandkids. Um, seems to go into like a bad place, can't get him out of it. I have to usually try to distract him. Um, so a lot of issues there. Yeah, I think it, it kind of depends on, well, I guess I'll answer that this way because, you know, not everything that looks like ADD is ADD. And this is actually probably a, maybe one of the most important points to take away from this conversation, frankly. I mean, ADD is, you can look distracted for a lot of reasons. Um, you could be, you could have sleep apnea and not be sleeping well at night. You could have horrible eczema and itching all day and you can't concentrate on math because your whole body itches. You could, um, um, have, you could, you could have anxiety, um, and be worried about who's going to pick you up after school. And so you're not thinking about, um, Shakespeare. Um, there are so many, there's so many things, right? That, or trauma. You, maybe you live in an environment where, um, you just don't feel safe. Um, and you're worried about going home to that place or, I mean, all of these things can, um, uh, masquerade as ADD. And so I think, um, I think the first thing I would do if I have a kid that goes into like a dark place and we just can't get him out of it and seems distracted all the time. I think what you have to do is have a conversation, you know, with that child and you have to have a conversation with that family about what else is going on. Um, because one of the things I didn't talk about is, you know, half of the kids with ADD are going to end up with depression or anxiety in their teens. It's 50% go on to have a mood disorder at the same time. So, um, and that's why doing this in the right order and meeting with the family and meeting with the child or caregivers who, and, and getting feedback from teachers is so important because 
um, part of the diagnosis is making sure it's not something else um, that might be even more, frankly, important than some inattention in, in school. So I think rather than focus on how young can it be, it can be young. The medications aren't approved usually in under six. Have I done it? I have. Um, but usually it's in, in, in children who just are really special circumstances. Um, so I think and when I hear dark place and can't get them out of it, um, I think to myself, somebody needs to just sit down and have a conversation with this child and family and figure out where those big feelings and, and where that dark place is coming from because there are resources out there. You know, and if ADD is a part of it, you can always thread in some treatment for that. But it might be, you know, discussing or having a conversation with a psychologist, honestly, mm-hmm. first. Um, and we're actually pretty blessed in Milwaukee. We It, it might seem like there's a shortage of psychiatrists uh, out there, but um, I think we actually do have a lot of resources when it comes to psychologists. And it's just a matter of, you know, getting in with them and learning, honestly, just how to talk to our children and how to, because it is different, you know, than our dads it and is. moms talk to us. It's <laughs> a lot more, um, tell me about better. that and instead of just... <laughs> do this you know um guilty right here uh of the same so um i would strongly encourage that family to have a conversation with a pediatrician or family practitioner um to talk about what they're seeing and let the practitioner dictate sort of what the next appropriate steps are and if ADD is a part of it fine you can go down that road but there may be something else there that we haven't thought of that is even more important to treat Dr. Tim Richard, Tosa Pediatrics. Really appreciate your time. Great seeing you. My Coming pleasure. Always. We'll talk about something else next great, time. Yeah, sounds sounds great. Anytime. Tell the family hello. Eight thirty three on Wisconsin's Morning News. Have it your way. Have it your way. Have it your way. Well, it seems like Dan Devine is going to have it his way starting today. It's uh, long process has been going on the last couple of months. The Burger King at 106 in Greenfield, I think, in West Dallas, has sat vacant for quite a while. It's oh, become yeah. a blighted property. Uh, yeah, Deb, you probably are I more familiar with I drive past that all the time. So today was the date that was set for the property to finally be raised. Now, Mayor Devine, he has been vocal about this. Going at it, he went at it on Twitter with Burger King. Uh, hold on, I have it. I have it here. Where's that tweet? Uh, I just with lost like it. actual Burger King. Yeah, with the Burger King <laughs> account. Oh, okay. So, I know I rule Burger King, but what are we going to do about this whopper of a property? <laughs> That's funny. And I they, appreciate it. They said, "Hey, respond to us." DM, you know how if right, you yeah. send a message to those happy companies, to talk with you offline on this. Yep, yeah, send us a DM. So he did. They never responded after his apparent direct message. So. This went on and on and on. I remember four, uh, Channel 4 interviewed, I think it was City Attorney Cale Decker back in October about this. I feel bad for the neighbors because they've had to deal with it. I know it's been a royal pain in their butt for a while. He says they want the royal company to fix the problems or sell the building. The end goal is just to activate that property, put some money into it, get it looking nice so the neighbors don't have to deal with it, and get a new business in that area. Don't think I didn't notice the royal pain slip through there. Another nice one, King. <laughs> so today was the date, December 27th. They had to start demolition on the property, and apparently it has begun. So congrats, Dan Devine. You beat Burger King. Now, I wonder how that happens, right? Because you're just in this empty, and this isn't Northridge. No. You know, which is totally apples and oranges kind of thing. But, you know, smaller property like that. I got a, play, I got a KFC on 27th and College that's near my house that I can sell you. Or to sell to somebody that's been vacant for years, too. And you drive by all the time and say, this is a busy intersection. What's happening here? Especially in a place like West Dallas, which I feel like the last few years in particular, like many communities, has seen a lot of building up. Yeah, yeah. You're building new housing projects, new 
of facilities, and yet you got this one property. And we see this happen all the time where there's new buildup, new buildup, but there's this one holdout, e.g. Northridge. I'm not shelling. That's when you need the Scooby-Doo crowd right there. You know, just resurrect that old uh, that old folklore so old you can scare everyone damn. off and buy the land cheap, right? That's why they did that. <laughs> See? You learned something at Scooby-Doo. 843 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Wednesday morning here on Wisconsin's Morning News. Got a really easy, fun, interesting read on Milwaukee and an event you can attend tonight if you want to learn more. Guest in studio with us this morning, local history teacher, also Ph.D. in urban history, written a book called Secret Milwaukee, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. Welcome to Jim Nelson. Good to see you, Jim. Hi, Vince. It's great to be here. So the book touts 84 secrets. Of them is a guy who's interested in local history. Adam is, too. Some of the stories are ones I was familiar with. Some of them are not. They're brand new. Um, for example, Wisconsin Gas Building. A yes. lot of folks here. If you're from here, you probably know the little flame on top has different messages and things like that, right? Right, absolutely. It's a, it's an old story, but hopefully uh, in reading that story, you find out something new about the architecture as well as the story behind the poem. So here's one that I, that I did know, but I know a lot of people don't. In fact, I think, if I recall correctly, I was researching a story for it back when I was on TMJ4. The Summerfest grounds, not only there, not only did that used to be an airport in Milwaukee, a lot of folks don't know that, but also served as a Nike missile site, one of several in the area. Tell us that story. Yes, it's, it's truly an interesting story. So it started out as Maitland Field, which was not a really good place for an airport, considering <laughs> in its uh, previous life it had actually been a landfill. And so they had uh, frequent problems with uh, the the tires being punctured on the planes. The stuff uh, was like sticking out of the runway? Yeah, yeah, stuff that <laughs> okay. never quite made it into the landfill, as well as the wind currents that were down there. And so then the airport was closed in the 1950s, which was perfect timing for the Cold War, because you could, you could come back and actually build a Nike missile silo there. It was one of eight silos that surrounded Milwaukee County with um, anti-aircraft missiles in case of a Soviet attack. What were we afraid of there? Somebody, like coming down the Great Lakes, is that uh, it? Yeah, that's basically it. You know, I mean, it was a panic and in the in the 1950s, and as unrealistic as it may seem today, uh, people back then thought Milwaukee would be a legitimate target, and so it was best to keep us armed just in case of a first strike. Well, of course, my grandfather worked for Falk Corporation, which was a huge defense contract, or at least producing those things, right? The the machine shop to the world, was that what they said about the valley? Yeah, that was the nickname. Milwaukee was the machine shop of, of the world in the early 20th century. We were the 12th largest city in America, and we were the largest producer of manufactured goods in the country. We sent stuff everywhere. We're talking with Jim Nelson. He is a local history teacher and has a book called Secret Milwaukee, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. So here's one for you. So when I took my fiance, when we first moved here, uh, we walked around trying to find out where we wanted to live. And we settled on the River West neighborhood for a number of different reasons. It kind of fit our personality a lot. And so when we moved in, I told Dovey, because I had known about the Polish flat and why you see a lot of houses in that area lifted off because they would build, literally build up to add space. But a lot of houses in our neighborhood have houses in the yard behind the house. Tell more about that. Yeah, that's also a great story is that when those Poles came here, they came here with nothing and their big dream was to own land. And it was a source of income as it is today. So, you know, somebody wants to buy a duplex. Why do they buy a duplex? They do it because they want to live in one unit and rent the other one out. Well, the Poles took it to an extreme in that they would typically build a house for themselves. And then as soon as they could afford to, they would actually jack it up basically on stilts, 
fill in the basement to create a basement living unit. Now, over in River West, which is one of my favorite collections of Polish flats in Milwaukee, you'll also sometimes see side units. You'll see a third unit, Mm -hmm. and then occasionally you'll see a back house. And oftentimes those back houses would themselves be jacked up and become a Polish flat. So you could have as many as five living units in some cases on one small piece of property with the with the family who owned it typically living in the smallest one and then renting out the larger units. Larger units mean more income. I feel like we may have the oldest unit in the neighborhood. So we live in a converted barn house on the second floor. We have a person who lives below us. And then one of those side houses you mentioned that was originally the carriage for the horses is what the property oh, yeah. manager told carriage me. carriage house. And then lifted a loft on top of that. Make, so you're making use of all the space. That's an excellent house to live in. Um, I, I, I deeply admire you for... <laughs> Owning that house. Oh, I wish I owned it. I'm renting. <laughs> no, just a renter. I just a renter. Well, someday, someday. someday. Hey, Jim, does Milwaukee have more of these strange stories than do other urban centers of our size? I mean, I, I suppose as a native, I would like to think that we're very unique. I mean, every every community has its stories. Right. I think in some ways we're a little stranger than other cities, and in and in other cities they're a little stranger than us. It depends on what you're looking at, you know. So, like when you take a look at the book, um, I get into cemetery history and food history and um, interesting architecture. You know, uh, one of the oldest buildings in North America is located right here in Milwaukee. It's on the Marquette campus, the St. Joan of Arc Chapel. Um, the story behind Milwaukee Pizza. Um, getting into uh, cemetery history, one of the priests from The Exorcist is buried here. Um, other cities can't claim that. Well, two <laughs> other cities can claim that. Okay, but, right. But, you know, Milwaukee's one of the three. I know something that would catch a lot of eyes as well, Milwaukee's history with organized crime and the dabblings in there. But that was, um, as a kid, I remember stories and whispers of maybe it was this house or maybe it was this person or we knew someone who knew someone who knew this guy. Right, absolutely. And one of the fun things was really researching the history of organized crime. Um, According to the research I have done, uh, the former Milwaukee Mafia headquarters is now the kayak rental that is across the street from the Milwaukee Public Market. So you can actually walk there from the studio. Obviously, it's a new building, okay? But I still went down there anyway and had to take that picture. The book is called Secret Milwaukee, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. How can people find this? Uh, You can find it at um, every major retail outlet in Milwaukee that is a bookseller. So Boswell Books, Barnes & Noble, Historic Milwaukee Incorporated, those are the big ones. But from what I am told, uh, it is flying off the shelf. And so it's good news. Want, it is good news. And if you want to buy one in person, I would consider doing that as soon as possible. And then you can also find online retailers as well. And you're going to be out tonight at Boswell Books, Downer Avenue. It's a 630 event. Folks can come by and ask their questions. I'm sure they will ask the question. Do you know of this? There was a property at whatever. I imagine sometimes you have to tell them, I'm not omniscient. Right. You know, I I can't know everything, you know, but I can try to help you out or I can at least point in the right direction of where you may be able to find those sources. Do people say things to you that then pique your interest? Do you go follow up on stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, For example, one of the stories in this book is the treasure of Byron Price, which I knew nothing about uh, going into this. And I, I had about 80 topics needed four more according to my publisher so i decided to crowdsource the last few and it was actually from the crowdsourcing that i found out about this buried treasure that is somewhere in milwaukee never had heard of it decided to write about it had a lot of fun 
Oh, that's awesome. Jim Nelson is the author of The Secret Milwaukee, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. you got a couple of history fans in Adam and myself, and you still got a few in there that, that we had not heard before. So there's something in there for sure for folks who are interested. Really appreciate it, Jim. All right, thanks for having me, Vince. And again, that event is at Boswell Books tonight on Downer Avenue, 630 start. 855 Wisconsin's Morning News. So Jim Nelson, now, you never feel bad when you don't know a fun fact. Yeah, yeah, right. It's always conversations, and they want to share this story with you to get you equally excited about the city that we live in. And what stories will you tell us this morning starting at 9 o'clock? We have Annie Schwartz, the Public Safety Hour, with Eric Drager, a cybersecurity expert. He's got details on how that MGM Caesars hacking happened. And it's actually as simple as picking up your phone and having what you think might be a friendly conversation. Man, when you have guys like this on, they, they blow your mind all the time with how much stuff is out there, how how much under attack we all are all the time. And how you can protect yourself. It may sound boring, but passwords, really great information on how to use your passwords yeah. and protect them. Fantastic. And so that's good. Uh, Bob Brainerd is co-hosting with me. So oh, Well, please listen anyway. Yeah. No, oh! come on. Bob did sports with us this morning. But helping so good you watch to see your him. wallet because the taxes in Milwaukee County are going up next week. So uh, what you can and can't spend your money on wisely before the end of the year. And Christmas cards, do you send them or do you not? People well, have I'm told opinions. we are doing a New Year's card this year. <gasps> I had to issue a public apology Ooh. for everyone on our list. We just didn't get to it. And by we, I mean... My wife, that's like her thing, and I'm no help. So, I'm excited. Favorite. Well, you had a big year. You had a big well, year to recap. Year, right. I got lots of stuff I could put on the picture card. Great. WTMJ now with Sandy Max is up next. Business headlines first. They're sponsored by Old National Bank. Get old.